Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. Welcome to our end of year wrap up podcast. Today, we're going to go over our wrap up podcast from last year. We're talking about our favorite tech from this year, our favorite stories from this year, and we're going to talk about what we're looking forward to in the future. All right, we're going to start off today's podcast talking about our wrap-up podcast from last year. So last year, episode 21, this is episode 71 now for anyone who's counting. Um, So episode 21, we kind of went over how we felt about 2020 in terms of technology and, um, you know, what some of our favorite tech was and what we were looking forward to. So just, you know, a brief summary my favorite piece of technology was the PlayStation 5 because, you know, got a PlayStation 5. A lot of people couldn't get their hands on one. Played it a lot. Your favorite piece of tech or, I guess, aspect of tech was electric cars in general because we talked about the Tesla Model Y coming out, the Mustang Mach-E coming out, and you referred to 2020 as the year that the electric vehicles grew up. Um we talked about Tesla having quality control issues and, you know, surprise, surprise, they're still shipping cars that aren't finished and don't have charging ports. And we also said one of our favorite things was the Apple M1 chip because there was a lot of speculation throughout the year. And then they finally, you know, put the M1 chip into something, into their MacBook Airs, their MacBook Pros, a Mac Mini. And it was kind of, okay, they say it's going to be good. How good is it going to actually be? And it turned out to be pretty revolutionary at the moment, like right when it came out. And I guess one question, just from all of that, you said you were looking forward to hopefully playing Cyberpunk one day because that was another big story last year about the delay and the drama and it came out and it crashed and it didn't play on anything. So did you ever get to play Cyberpunk 2077? So that's funny that you asked that because I am contemplating whether or not to get Cyberpunk 2077 right now um, because it's on a super sale. And I'm, I'm always like wondering, should I play this game? But no, I haven't actually played it yet. And some days I'm like, I really want to play it. And then some days I'm like, you know, what? I really didn't like The Witcher 3 anyway, so maybe it's not for me. But mm. yeah, I think we both said on that podcast, even before the reviews came out, we thought that game was a little too overhyped and there was no way it could have lived up to the hype. And it turned out to be very much not able to live up to that hype. And it's a little bit disappointing in some ways, but I, I think that just goes to show like no video game is is going to be able to, to be exactly what you want for everybody. Yeah, I think that's almost one of the, the things too about hype. As a company, you obviously want to build up hype around whether it's a video game, whether it's a product, whether it's a TV show or a movie. You want people to be excited for whatever you're putting out. Mm-hmm. But you kind of run into this issue where it's, okay, the more people get excited, the more excitement there is, there's more of a chance that people will be disappointed. Yeah. Especially if it's, okay, you're, you're such a big story that you're bringing in people outside of your fan base. Because, you know, it's one thing for your fan base to get excited where it's, okay, these are people who you know, are familiar with your games, familiar with your products. They've been fans for a while, so they know what to expect. When you get to such a a huge uh, story that now, you know, people's mothers, people's grandparents, people's teachers at school 
are getting into a video game or are interested in a video game or hearing about this video game, you know, that's kind of where you run into the problem where these aren't the people who we have traditionally made media products things for. So there's less of a chance that they will be interested in the final product because they don't really understand what the final product is supposed to be. But I guess back to our end of year wrap up from last year, we were looking forward to what the future of M1 looked like. We were saying, okay, you know, one problem with the M1 chips is that they don't have enough ports. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of hoping that in the future, whenever they upgrade it, we were saying it could be the M2 chip, the MX, you know, the naming was a lot more Apple than that. And we were also wondering how much more powerful they would be. You even said that you were looking to looking forward to see what the iPad Pro ended up being. Because you said, hey, you know, possibly some of that Apple silicone expertise could make its way into the iPad Pro. And we actually joked around that they could put an M1 chip in the iPad Pro and... What do you know? They ended up doing that. They must have listened to our podcast. (laughs) Um, And then we were also kind of talking about what we were looking forward to from Disney Plus, you know, things, because we were both pretty impressed with The Mandalorian, the first, I guess, the first original TV show from Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah, the first big original. looking forward to things like WandaVision, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, the What If series, Hawkeye. Looking forward to Star Wars, The Bad Batch, The Visions animated series, and The Book of Boba Fett, which has aired. I haven't watched it yet. I'm not sure if you've watched it yet. But there was a lot that we were looking forward to in terms of entertainment-wise also. Um, So I guess to kind of touch on what we were looking forward to, the updated M1 chip ended up being the M1 Pro and the M1 Max. From what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've read, how do you feel, I guess, about the the upgrade to the M1? Because we, like we kind of speculated, they added more ports, thankfully. Yeah. There seems to be more port options. And it's also more powerful. But I guess, what are your thoughts on what ended up being the M1 Pro and the M1 Max? Well, I think with the M1 Pro and the M1 Max, I feel a similar way to how I feel about the iPad Pro. Not necessarily as negative because I I remember when we were talking about what could be the future of the iPad Pro. And then I remember when the iPad Pro was announced and we both said this could be Apple's greatest device ever made. Um, But it was hampered by software. Uh, When it comes to the M1 Pro and the M1 Max, I expected more from the CPU side of these upgrades. Because essentially what we got with the Pro and the Max is more GPU cores and a few more CPU cores as well. But the CPU performance really isn't a huge step above of what we already seen from the base level M1s. The real boost in performance is where uh, is in the GPU performance, and we're seeing from these new chips. And that, alongside with the fact that the the device has a notch that it really doesn't need to have, um, and a lot of design choices that they made, make me a little less. I'm still very positive on these devices, but I'm a little less positive, and. Uh, for me though, the one big saving grace is they got the port selection, right? Uh, like I said earlier, I would have liked a USB a, but that's never going to happen. The ports that we did get, including SD card and HDMI is huge. That's such a great move. And I really, really hope that they do not lock those ports behind, you know, their most expensive pro machines. These are 
universal ports that should be available on all their devices. And I hope that's the direction that they're going to go. Um, but it does seem that there is an IO limitation with M1. They did need a separate chip to be able to drive these amount of ports on these new MacBook Pros. Maybe they feel like it might not be cost effective to have that same level of port selection down the line, but it's definitely something I hope they do. And yeah, I do think the, the M1 Pro and the M1 Max is, is an okay chip. It's just, it's not as revolutionary as the M1 um, seemed to be when it first came out. But I'm curious, how do you feel about it? Do you think that the M1 Pro and the M1 Max is enough um, to kind of bring in the Pro uh, pro level users to to Apple and I guess away from Intel? Um, we'll get into this a little bit later on in the podcast, uh, talking more, I guess, about, you know, tech from this year. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, okay, we were looking forward to more ports, especially, and more power. Yeah. I think Apple definitely delivered on that. Just from a base standpoint, without, you know, diving too much into it, um, I think the MacBook Pros, the upgraded MacBook Pros are exactly what people who have used Apple devices have been asking for, I, I would say, since 2012. Mm. Um, maybe 2014, you know, they removed the disk drive, not that big of a deal. Um, then they started removing more and more ports and making their MacBook Pros slimmer and slimmer to the point where there wasn't that much of a difference in terms of, you know, their dimensions compared to the MacBook Air. And it came at the um, came at the cost of, let's say, productivity, efficiency, because you have a professional device with, let's say, only two ports on it. Yeah. Right? But in terms of our predictions, I would say, yes, we got more ports. Yes, we got more power. Um, M1, as you said, M1, when it first came out, was a huge, huge game changer for Apple. It doesn't seem like M1 Pro and Max are as huge of a game changer, but it's kind of hard to, you know, change the game twice back to back. Yeah, I guess. But we'll, we'll get more into that into uh, as we move on to other topics in our podcast. And I guess that kind of it's a good segue into the next topic, which is our favorite tech from this past year. So I kind of want to I want to break this down first into what's your favorite phone from 2021? What's your favorite laptop slash computing device from 2021? And then what's your favorite other? Now, just, you know, list list those three, and then I'll list my three, and then we can kind of dive a bit deeper into it. But I think I already know what your, or I, I have an idea of what your favorite phone might be, but let's hear what you have to say. Yeah, so for my favorite phone, this this one is actually t tough. Um, it's going to be the Pixel 6, uh, just because I think all around it does so much well. Uh, including the price point, which is huge for me. I really wanted it to make it the uh, the Sony. Oh my goodness, I always forget the name of this phone. Um, but <laughs> Sony X One Mark Four. Yeah, um, the the crazy one inch sensor phone. phone. Yeah, um, I, I wanted it to be that just because I really like the form factor of that phone. But it's a very expensive phone, albeit very cool. 
So I'll, I'll leave that one as a to the side. So yeah, it's going to be the Pixel 6 uh, for laptop or a computing device. Really, it would be the Steam Deck. Unfortunately, that's not out yet. And honestly, I would still make it my choice, even though it's not out yet, just because to me, that's so exciting and something that I'm very, very interested in. Um, but because it's not available right now, I may make it the the iMac. Uh, like I said, I really love the design of this iMac. I think it's really stupid when it comes to ports. But I think that go that says a lot for this past year that we've had where there's been a lot of delays and a lot of issues due to the chip shortage. That's been the story of the year. So really, as many devices that have launched, a lot of them didn't launch in the best condition. Uh, we saw things like the the new Surface products which launched with which launched with kind of outdated software or hardware even when they rolled out with 11th gen um, uh, chips and you know Windows 11 Windows 11 uh, mm -hmm. is supposed to be supporting you know 12th gen chips with uh, almost like a big little architecture where there's efficiency cores along with productivity cores that those machines don't yet have. Um, or at least the majority of them don't ha yet have. So it's kind of hard for me to put those on my list, even though I do think the Surface Studio, uh, the Surface Laptop Studio is really cool. Um, it doesn't quite hit that mark. So yeah, I, I think overall I would want it to be the Steam Deck. And for other, this is going to sound surprising, but I think this was the year of the Xbox Series S. It's kind of, it, it kind of snuck up on me because going into the holiday season and i know the xbox came out last year but um going into the holiday season i've had a couple of people ask me hey i'm thinking of getting a video game console um i don't want to spend a lot of money you know should i get a switch or should i get um something else and the interesting thing is that i feel like as much as i like the switch oled it makes the recommendation a lot harder because as someone who doesn't have a Switch, it's hard for me to recommend the, the normal Switch over the Switch OLED. And the Switch OLED is more expensive than an Xbox Series S. And then there's also the game situation where Game Pass has so many games with a, with a pretty affordable subscription. And there's really nothing that even comes close to that on, on Switch. So I actually found myself recommending the Xbox Series S and not only that, it was readily available up until the holiday season. And it's funny, I had a prediction that I thought the Xbox Series X was being held for when Halo was going to launch, and there would be a bunch of those in the market. That didn't happen. There was almost no Xbox Series Xs. <laughs> I think there was probably even less Xbox Series Xs than there were PS5s, but there were a ton of Series Ss to the point where in the States, I believe, it was the highest selling console um, over the holiday season. So... Yeah, for me, that 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 little machine really snuck up on me, and I, I, I've actually found myself recommending that to people just from the benefit of Game Pass, Halo coming out and being a huge hit, and the fact that it was actually available, which is, is kind of surprising. Um, but how about you? So my favorite phone of the year, Pixel 6. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I've always kind of liked Pixel devices. I've always liked Google devices, Android devices. And just in terms of value for what you can get, it's it's one of the best, if not the best phone that's out right now in terms of value for what you can get. 
And also, you know, in, when we talk about the Pixel series, when Google first rebranded their phones to Pixel, it was more, uh, it was, it was essentially just another Nexus phone. Yeah. Right. Because for the Nexus phones, they didn't design the chip. They didn't really design the hardware. It was kind of, they, they sent it out to someone else. All right, you design the hardware, you design everything. And then we'll just put our Android, our vanilla Androids, you know, system on it. When the Pixel series started, it was okay. Now Google is designing the hardware, but it's still, they don't, they're not designing the SOC. They're not designing all the parts for it. It's more just, we're designing how it looks on the outside and it's still just the vanilla you know, Android experience on the inside. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, with the start of Tensor, their own Tensor-powered phones, their own, own Tensor-powered devices, I think this is a big step for Google moving forward. And this is the first time, okay, you know, as part of their marketing, we truly have a Google-powered device, this first, you know, Google phone. My favorite laptop is a framework laptop. Mm. Um you know, there was a lot of buzz about it before it came out, at least, you know, from what I saw, there was a lot of buzz about it when it came out. But I think, you know, from what I've seen, it seems to be doing pretty well. They're opening up their their deliveries to other countries, you know, to Europe, other countries and around the world, other continents around the world outside of North America. And the if for anyone who doesn't know about Framework Laptop, they're a modular phone laptop maker so you can have your device custom built they'll send it to you and it is designed in such a way that you can open it up yourself you can replace any part yourself it's easily replaceable parts are easily sourced on their website um i think that's i think it's a big step for laptop manufacturers but even just electronic device manufacturers in general right there are talks of you know you look at something like the the Fairphone 4, right? You look at something like the Fairphone 4 that came out this year, another modular device, a modular phone device. I think companies like Fairphone, companies like Framework that are willing to build devices that are easily accessible, easily upgradable, um, and cost-effective for people that buy them, I think that's. I think it's a trend that is kind of starting to gain some... Uh, gain some momentum, especially when you look at the right to repair, gaining momentum in the U.S. Congress also. Um, My favorite other technology would probably be EVs. When we look at, and I guess more specifically EV trucks, right? If we look at the the Rivian R1T, we look at the Ford F-150 Lightning, we look at the Hummer EV, which I I think may have been debuted in 2020 and i think it was supposed to come out this year but it's not shipping Mm -hmm. from what i understand but um and then also we look at the tesla model s plaid right there's this has been a big year for evs and i think at the end of last year we were kind of saying you know 2020 was a good year for evs there were a lot of you know there is more more companies talking about it but I think this year is more companies actually putting EVs out on the road, actually getting, you know, people behind the wheels of different EVs, whether they're trucks, whether they're sedans, whether they're SUVs. Um, and a lot more companies kind of pushing their vision of, okay, we are going EV in the future by this date, by two years, by four years, by, you know, five, six years. Um so I guess, yeah, my, my three favorite things, Pixel 6, Framework Laptop, 
electric vehicles. And, you know, when you, when you look at tech roundups throughout the internet, a lot of people talk about the M1 Pro and the M1 Max MacBook Pros. Pretty much every tech journalist, YouTuber, video blogger has said this is their favorite device. Um, and so you asked me before, you know, do I think this is a good pro-grade device? My answer would be yes. I think the updated MacBook Pros are a great professional device with the emphasis on you have to be a professional that needs this to create your content, to create your media. Mm. So like a YouTuber, maybe someone who's, you know, a traditional media creator, whether it's, you know, you're doing things like you're working on video graphics, you're working in some sort of illustrator, you're doing motion capture things. Because, you know, one thing we didn't mention before, these are very expensive devices. Yeah. And I think one thing that we really liked about the M1 chips when they came out last year was you are getting a lot of performance. And in fact, for most of the products that they put them in, they were charging you less than they were for the Intel counterparts. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that really blew us away was, okay, not only is it that much better performance, but you're charging us less too. You're giving us a better price. Like that's a game changer. But now when you look at the M1 Pro and the M1 Max, yes, you're getting better performance. Yes, you're getting, you know, more ports because professionals need ports. Um, But the price is almost like double what you would pay for an M1 device. Yeah. Which is kind of, it's hard personally for me to recommend to anyone unless you are someone who needs this for your work. Unless you're someone who has maybe tried using an M1 device. But you've run into bottlenecks in terms of the, you know, the computing power, the, the graphics, the graphical processing power of your device. If you've run into bottlenecks there, then I would say, okay, you need a new MacBook Pro with an M1 Pro or an M1 Max chip. But aside from that, this device isn't really for you. And if you don't need it for that, then why are you going to spend an extra, you know, thousand, two thousand dollars on a device just to say you have the newest thing Apple has? Yeah. So I think it's great for professionals in the sense that you are professional content media creator, but outside of that, it's not needed. I, I think that's a, a fantastic point. I just want to step in quickly because I think you proved it or you mentioned exactly probably why I'm not as big on the, on the MacBook pros because for the original M one machines, the killer product that re- they released was the M one Mac mini. It was such a great value that it made the whole line seem worth it because at the base level, you had this Mac mini, which was very affordable and it undercut most things that were not uh, Mac computers. When it comes to these pro level machines, sure, they have great performance, but there's a lot of caveats there. The first caveat is like you said, it's only going to help you if you have a pro level workflow. But even if you do have a pro level, level workflow, it's not a guarantee that your workflow is going to work on these machines because they are using this proprietary M1 chip that doesn't have everything automatically translated for it. A lot of your programs, your legacy programs are going to be running through Rosetta, which is, which is an emulator and not going to be running particularly great. But also when it comes to the price, 
you know, Apple put up all these graphs about how its graphics performance was going to be so great, and they were comparing it to something like a, a RTX 3080. But the fact is, when you compare it to uh, Intel-based Windows machines with really great graphics processors like RTX 3060 um, or 3070, they're actually beating these M1 uh, or matching these M1 machines, and they're like $1,000 less than these machines. So it's it's not giving the value proposition that the original M1 gave. And if you're a pro that works in this workflow, it's going to work great for you. But if you're a pro that doesn't use, you know, Final Cut or things that have already been translated for M1 and use the Metal API uh, for that graphics acceleration, you're not going to get much out of it either. So you're paying all this money, so much money more for these uh, more powerful machines that aren't really giving you much unless you're in a very specific uh, class of, of professionals, which to me is a little bit disappointing. And the fact that, yes, this does have the ports, which is great, but you have to pay that much just to get the ports is also uh, pretty annoying. So yeah, I, I think that's 100%. I completely agree with you as to why I agree that can't be put at least on my or, or I guess on yours either uh, list of, of you know, best computing device for the year, because there's a lot of caveats that go with it that just doesn't fit most people, honestly. Yeah. On to our next topic. We're going to talk about our favorite, uh, our favorite and, you know, what we view as the biggest tech stories from this past year, from 2021. Now, right off the bat, I'm going to say my favorite, what I think is the biggest story of 2021 is NFTs and the metaverse. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I mentioned in one of our previous podcasts early on in the year, we were talking about, oh, this little game called Axie Infinity. And, you know, there's some, this thing, something called an NFT, digital real estate. It doesn't really make sense, but, you know, it'd be interesting to see where it goes. And then everything blew up from there in terms of NFT sales, in terms of uh, Facebook rebranding to Meta. Now everyone's talking about the metaverse and they're building their company for the metaverse first. And we've seen skyrocketing prices in NFTs and skyrocketing numbers of NFT sales. And, you know, it's it's kind of, it's not going to say out of control, but it has grown exponentially compared to where it was at the beginning of the year. But that's what I think my personal biggest favorite story of 2021 is tech-wise. Yeah, uh, I think you're 100% right there. That is a huge story. And 2021 was a big year for the rise of NFTs um, into the mainstream, which was pretty crazy to see. Uh, for me, it's actually something that's that's similar to uh, one of your favorite products of the year. And I'm actually going to get more into it when we talk about the future. But it's the narrative around repairability. I feel like this is a narrative, a story that has really changed in 2021. Um, I think it's become more of a a popular topic amongst more and more people i think now the average person really cares about how repairable their devices can be um in terms of sustainability but uh i i definitely think there's much much further that that companies need to go uh we've seen you know apple even try to loosen up their their uh their hold on on repairability by saying that they're going to offer schematics and stuff like that and and try to support third-party repair. It still remains to be seen. But like you said, framework exists. Bare phone exists. 
uh, Microsoft has announced that they're going to, you know, uh, listen to their shareholders and try to make their products more sustainable going forward. So I think that's the story for me that really, I, I really enjoyed the most. But yeah, like I said, I'll get into a bit a little bit later, but there's definitely a lot more room that needs to be made there. Definitely. I think another big story of this year is custom silicone in general, mm-hmm. right? We talked about the debut of M1 and now we've had M1 Pro, M1 Max, Google Tensor. And, and we're talking about, you know, people making silicone, Snapdragon, has now built their own gaming device and you know possibly there's talks that they could be moving into their own actual like handheld phone right so i think custom silicone companies are starting to realize that hey we can actually make our products better if we tailor make these socs these chips for what we want our devices to be good at, for what we want to emphasize on these products. Mm-hmm. And I think another another way you could kind of look at this is why this is so important, especially now, is that, like you mentioned earlier, we're in a global chip shortage. So if everyone is kind of pulling from the same manufacturers, pulling from the same pool of chips, and it's, okay, well, you know, let's say Windows buys the most Intel chips. So they're going to get first dibs and then Asus and, you know, Acer. Then after whenever, whenever Windows is done taking their chips for, you know, their Intel chips, then you can have some of the scraps afterwards. I think part of why custom silicone is such a big deal, it can be such a big deal, is not only the performance improvements that you can get from it, but also if you are custom building the chips for your devices yourself, you have you have easier access to them. You have easier access to the numbers. Now, obviously, you know, they're not building the chips themselves in Cupertino. They're being built somewhere overseas. But if you have, let's say, a foundry that is dedicated to building your chips for your products, you don't have to compete with the Windows, with the Acer, Acer's, with the Asus, with, you know, the R. You don't have to compete with anybody. Mm-hmm. I think that's a part of why Custom Silicone has been so big and especially like going into the near future is going to continue to be big. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Uh, especially for a company like Apple that likes to have full control over their supply chain, having that extra control over their chips is, is only going to benefit. So yeah, I definitely having that control saying, Hey, this is exactly how many chips we want. Um, and they're going to be built to our spec, I think is huge. And then the fact how they lay, they laid out their M1 lineup, um, is I think something that a lot of these companies are going to need to copy because they set a pretty high ceiling, but then also were able to downgrade those chips to fit different versions. So, you know, if not every chip that comes out is going to be at the same quality and they're going to, not going to be able to hit the same, you know, frequencies. So you have something like the uh, MacBook Air, which isn't cooled, so doesn't need, so isn't going to go up to a sustained frequency that's, as high um, and may even have seven GPU cores instead of eight or 10 or whatever. But then you can take that same chip that can, you know, hit those higher frequencies a little bit more, put it in a MacBook Pro, which has a fan, and all of a sudden you have a slightly better performance. And they were able to build that out throughout their product line, which was very smart. And I imagine a lot of other companies, maybe even Google, might hopefully try to do this. And maybe we might see a Tensor powered Chromebook 
that's a little bit more powerful than than the ones in the phones and then you know maybe a tensor powered android tablet or uh you know any other things that they could potentially bring out uh and they can use their line the same way that apple does but you know who knows mm-hmm. all right on to our final topic of the day we're going to talk about what we're looking forward to in the future 2022 and onwards and you know you brought up a good point google possibly put in their tensor chips into chromebooks one thing i'm looking forward to in the future is google hopefully building out their ecosystem mm-hmm. you know we've talked many times in the past about how successful apple is because of the ecosystem that they've built you know when it comes from the iphone to the apple watch to the macbook to the ipad they all work so well together I'm looking forward to Google hopefully building out a similar ecosystem. I mean, for quite some time, a Pixel watch has been rumored. But, you know, whether it's supply chain issues or maybe when we got those rumors, they were, you know, maybe blown out of proportion as to how close Google was to to debuting their Pixel watch. But I'm looking forward to a Pixel watch. I'm looking forward to possibly a, a Google foldable phone, which is also supposed to be in the works at Google. And like you said, a a Google Chromebook, I think they are perfectly set up right now to build out an ecosystem, at least with a watch, and then having tighter integration between their watch, their cell phones, and their Chromebooks. Because when we look at this past, I guess it's like two years now, year and a half, year and a bit, a lot of students have been learning from home. A lot of students have been using Chromebooks. So if you can build some sort of integration, some tighter integration between whether it's Pixels or Androids in general, in general with Chromebooks, I think that is a great way that Google could grow their business and grow, you know, grow their market share too. Yeah, yeah, you're 100% right. And I, I think even Google might have even even bigger opportunity than what Apple's doing right now, because as we've talked about in past podcasts, you know, Chrome OS supports Android apps. Android obviously supports Android apps, but now so does Microsoft. Um, so does Windows 11. So the ability to have a crossover between Windows 11, Chrome OS, and Android, and watches, and their partnership with Samsung, um, in terms of Samsung watches as well, they could have a huge ecosystem uh, that's much bigger than Apple's if they want it to exist, and if they, you know, they actually make it as good as Apple's. Uh, but it just remains to be seen as if they can pull that off. Yeah. Uh, definitely remains to be seen. Another thing I'm looking forward to in the future, you know, as much as we've kind of harped on on Apple and their Mac products for being just so expensive, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the future updates updates to the devices they're supposed to be coming with. Right? There's supposed to be a new iMac Pro coming out. There's rumors that there's a Mac Mini update coming out. I mean, there's also supposed to be a new iPad Pro coming out. So. I think these are all things I'm excited to see. I'm not necessarily going to buy any of them, <laughs> but I'm definitely excited to see how Apple can push the envelope and where they can push it. You know, you mentioned before that the Mac Mini with M1 in it was, you know, in terms of price point, it was such a game changer. Yeah. So I could see them doing the same sort of thing with, okay, you could say part of why the MacBook Pro is so expensive is, it's this new redesigned chassis. You know, it has this new liquid retina XDR display on it. And it has to be portable, which makes, you know, it harder manufacturing. 
if you were to take an M1 Pro or an M1 Max chip and stick it in a Mac Mini, mm -hmm. you don't have to talk about, you know, charging for this liquid retina XDR display. You don't have to worry about the keyboard, the touchpad. There's a lot that you there's a lot that you could factor out in terms of price wise that a Mac Mini I think could be another amazing device, especially when it comes to, you know, this M series, these M series chips. Yeah. I think the iMac Pro is obviously going to look great. It's going to probably perform great. But what I'm really looking forward to seeing is the Mac Mini. And also, do they put an M1 Pro chip in iPad Pro? Yeah. I mean, I, if they do that, I'm literally probably just going to put my head in my hands and be like, what are you doing, Apple? Um, <laughs> because honestly, it's not just the iPads anymore. I feel like M1's biggest issue is software. Until all software is working uh, on M1 and taking advantage of those GPU cores and those CPU cores natively, uh, I think M1 is going to continue to have a little bit of an uphill battle with the majority of people who want to use those devices. And that is no more prominent than with the iPad Pro, where it's still running iPad OS, even though it would destroy a Surface if it was running Mac OS. Yeah, absolutely destroy it. What are you looking forward to for next year? So, uh, like I mentioned, you know, the conversation on repairability was huge uh, in terms of my favorite story for the year. What I'm hoping for going for next year, you know, I mentioned last year it was uh, electric cars and, you know, them growing up and becoming a bigger deal. And we might not see it as much in North America, but in Europe, electric cars are everywhere. The charging infrastructure is much better than it is here. And it, we're very close to electric cars just being the norm. Um, and I, I don't think we're far off from that in North America either. The big thing, though, that really has me worried with this quick adoption of electric cars and how so many great electric cars have come out this year, um, or at least been announced, uh, especially on the more affordable end, things like the Kia EV6, the Hyundai Ioniq uh, 5, the Genesis GV60, uh Volkswagen ID4, like so many. There's a Skoda Enyaq EV. Like there's so many vehicles that have been announced um, uh, on the electrical on the electric vehicle front. The one thing that really worries me though is what is happening with these batteries. Um, one thing that we've seen a lot in the past with phones, and I think we had this conversation just uh, either yesterday or or a few days ago about. You know, the phone batteries, that's that's a really crappy thing when your phone battery stops holding a charge and, you know, the battery life gets lower and lower over time. But those are very small batteries. Like the idea of recycling those phones is not that big of an issue. Most people only hold their phone for two to three years anyways. That's not the case with a car. A car is meant to be hold a, held a lot longer than that. And the batteries in them are gigantic and they're toxic. And there needs to be a method of getting rid of these batteries, recycling these batteries, making sure that these cars can last as long as a gasoline powered car, car can so that we're not just replacing the, the, you know, carbon emissions from a gasoline engine with the waste of batteries and landfills. Um, and I think that's one thing as, as quick as, as electric vehicles have grown. I feel like that's one question that has not yet been answered of, what are you going to do when these batteries start degrading? What is the plan for them? What are you going to do with them? How are you going to replace them? 
How are you going to make sure that these cars can stay on the road as long as possible? Um, the way that, you know, a Honda Civic can right now, you know, Honda Civics can, can pretty much run for, for almost forever. Um, and we kind of get the Toyota Camry and the Toyota Camry and the Corolla. Like there are cars that we know will keep running and running and running until you don't want them to anymore. Um, and we don't have that same conversation around electric cars. They're much more treated like tech, um, and disposable. And I don't think that that's healthy for the repairability market, but also for, uh, the environment. And uh, another big thing is right now, the biggest auto manufacturer in the electric car vehicle market is Tesla. And Tesla doesn't really, you know, isn't too kind to, about other people repairing their vehicles, similar to how Apple used to be. And, you know, this is a company that really likes to tote this, you know, green kind of um, environmentally friendly image. That's something that definitely needs to change. They need to get third party repair shops on board um, and they need to design their cars for repairability. And it's funny, this is pretty much the exact conversation that we've had with things like Apple, right? And phones in general. Cell phones have been designed to not be repairable. And I feel like, you know, you see someone open up a Tesla and you see all these wires just thrown about the place. It doesn't look like much thought was put into what happens if this thing needs to be taken apart. Um, and to me, that's a problem for not just Tesla, but electric cars in general. And so for the future, I'm definitely looking forward to the future of repairability, but most specifically right now, I think the industry that needs it the most is electric cars. That's a very interesting take. And, you know, just earlier today, Marquez Brownlee tweeted about how he's driven 424,000 miles in his Tesla Model S mm -hmm. and the only service needed was one battery replacement, yeah. which when you look at, you know, in terms of repairability, the fact that the only thing he needed to have repaired was a battery replacement, I think that's going to be a huge selling point for cars in the future. Yeah. But as you mentioned, where is that battery going? What's happening to it? And, you know, Tesla isn't someone that likes third-party repairs. But I think the way things are moving, as you said, you know, they're going to have to open up to third-party repairs. You're going to have to... It's not going to... You're not going to be able to function where it's okay. You can only have your your battery replaced at this third party or at this, you know, one Tesla dealership yeah. that may be 50 miles or, you know, 80 kilometers from wherever you live, right? Or, you know, you're going to have to book an appointment and maybe we're so busy because electric vehicles, Teslas are becoming more and more popular. So maybe we're going to be so busy that you're not going to be able to come see us for, you know, a month past when you're supposed to. And at that point, it's okay, am I going to wait a month to hopefully get this appointment? Or am I going to go to this person down the street who's repairing my vehicle? And if this isn't, you know, some sort of third party uh, repair shop that can easily get parts from Tesla, then you have to worry about, you know, some substandard parts being put into your vehicle. Yeah. Right. Before Apple passed this whole, you know, we are providing first party Apple parts to third party repair shops and people who are comfortable repairing their own devices, you would have to try and find a battery on Amazon, right? You would have to try and find a replacement battery for your laptop, for your phone, for your, whatever it is on Amazon. And who knows? Okay, one, is that up to the standard that Apple has? Probably not. And two, is this going to damage my device when I put it in? Yeah. Right. So I think 
not only does Tesla and, you know, other EV manufacturers in the future, not only do they need to be on to make sure that people can get their parts, but I think just to keep their vehicles and, you know, EVs in general safer in the future. And as much as they want to, you know, maybe hoard all of the repairs and hoard who's allowed to work on their cars themselves, I think just for the safety of the world at large, they kind of need to start opening up their repair functions or start opening up the repairability of their vehicles. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is a, a really important point because, you know, someone like Marquez Brownlee, I think is, is a different kind of scenario. And I think this is why this, this conversation needs to happen now rather than five years from now, because the fact is he's purchased a brand new Tesla. The vast majority of people do not buy brand new cars. They buy cars used. And the state in which that car is going to be purchased at when it's used, the battery capacity is going to be lower, obviously, you know, in, in the next few years. But also, this also has to do with what happens if the vehicle got in, in a collision. We've seen, you know, very recently and in the past where any time a Tesla gets into any kind of significant collision, that vehicle is declared a write-off because they don't want to deal with the fact that a battery could be damaged. And even if it's just a, one cell or a part of a cell or, you know, half of the battery, they will write off the entire vehicle. So now that vehicle and its batteries is sitting in an impound lot or, or you know, a car lot full of junked cars. And the car could be back on the road. It could be back on the road. It could have been looked at by someone. It could be fixed, but none of that is happening. And I think that's the problem is that these vehicles are being treated like disposable tech, which is, you know, it's, it's disappointing when it's a phone, but when it's a car and it's got so much toxic chemicals in these batteries to the point where you're having 70 to 80 to hundred kilowatt batteries in these vehicles to just have on a lot somewhere. When it could be on the road, it could be repaired, it could be in someone's hands, as opposed to someone getting a brand new vehicle, is a bit of a problem. And I think that's that's unfortunately the question that isn't really being have, had right now, because a lot of these cars, the used market isn't overrun with electric cars yet. But when, you know, in the next five years, that will be the case. There's going to be a lot of first generation Tesla Model S's. There's going to be, there already is now, but there's going to be so much more. And the idea that you know, a car that could be running is going to be sitting in a landfill instead of getting repaired and back into someone's hands is a little bit of an issue. But yeah, so that's definitely what I hope. I hope we start to see more companies um, like Hyundai, like like Tesla, talk about, hey, this is what we're going to plan to do. Every time we sell a, uh, a car, we're going to track its battery. We're going to figure out what we're going to do with it. We're going to recycle when possible. We're going to dispose of it properly when possible. And we're going to make sure that, you know, these cars aren't sitting in landfills, they're actually going to be used, which, you know, hopefully that's something that we actually see going forward into next year and, and in the future. Hopefully. Uh, on a lighter note, one thing that I'm looking forward to is handheld gaming. Mm. Um, you know, you talked about the Switch a little bit. You talked about the Valve Steam Deck. I kind of briefly mentioned the Snapdragon G3X gaming platform. I think handheld gaming in general has been a market that has been neglected for quite some time, especially before the Switch came out. Yeah. And I think now we're starting to see resurgence of handheld gaming. 
I'm looking forward to see how the Valve Steam Deck does. As you mentioned, it was supposed to come out in 2020, or sorry, it was supposed to come out in 2021. Now it's not coming out until 2022. So I'm looking to see how that is received by the public at large. I'm looking to see what developers decide to do with the Snapdragon G3X gaming platform. And I think that, I think we're going to see a lot more devices from a lot more manufacturers coming into 2022. Because I think people are, I think companies are starting to realize that, hey, there is a market for handhelds. You know, this is something that's kind of been neglected in the past. And, you know, if we make devices, there's going to be interest in them. Yeah. Now, whether they'll be able to meet that interest, whether they'll be able to successfully meet the supply with the demand for them, that's another story. But I think that what this past year has kind of shown us is that people are, aren't just interested in, you know, console gaming and dedicated PC gaming. People are also interested in the handheld platforms too. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, it would have been my product of this year, but the product I'm looking forward to most next year is the Steam Deck. Um, I think it's, it's really, really cool looking. They have talked about repairability on it, which is great. Um, mm -hmm. But also, uh, for me, what kind of surprised me is when they announced this, the fact that it was going to be delayed, it looks like they're, they're going to hit a February date for shipping. And what I find interesting about that is that date hasn't slipped even for new reservations right now. So I'm hoping that maybe, you know, what they're going to do is just have a bunch of these units available because if February rolls around and there's these units just readily available for people to buy, um, I think that would be a huge benefit for Valve because that won't be the case for the PlayStation 5 or the Xbox Series S or X. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, I think that could really entice a lot of people who maybe wanted to buy a new console uh, and comparing the, the all the consoles and you know most of them aren't available. They'll be like, well, I could either get a Switch or I can get a Steam Deck. And I think a lot of people, including myself, I would choose a Steam Deck over the Switch um, right now. But yeah, I, I think once again, like we mentioned with Cyberpunk, expectations, um, I don't want to get too excited about it and be let down. So maybe I'll wait <laughs> and see what people say about it once they get it in their hands. Mm -hmm. but hopefully yeah. I think there's a lot to look forward to in the upcoming year for sure uh, any closing statements uh no you know it's funny um right now Fortnite is down um and I imagine there's a lot of people over the holiday season who are frantically trying to get it up and running and I've been in this exact same scenario before so I just want to say to all the people uh, who are struggling to find out what this outage is, uh, you know, uh, maybe take a few minutes, take a deep breath. Uh, and for Epic Games, make sure to give these people some paid time off, not just a pizza party. Uh, because uh, being in the holiday season and having to work on an outage is one of the most annoying and stressful situations. Uh, pizza isn't enough. <laughs> so, yeah, just a shout out to all those people working on that issue. And, uh, you know, hopefully it doesn't ruin their holiday season. So cheesy garlic bread sticks too, is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, take it easy, everyone in podcast land. Catch you in the next episode. <laughs>